when you acquire a property, obviously there's a great deal of due diligence that's done in connection with the acquisition. One would always get all of the environmental reports that the existing owner has and physical condition reports, as well as doing your own. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast. Lawsuits are starting to pile up in the wake of the collapse of the Champlain Towers South Condominium Complex. Most seek damages, not only for the lives of the nearly 100 people who died, but also for the loss of 138 individual units. In today's podcast, Rain founder David Lawrence talks to industry experts on what we know and don't know about what went wrong and what needs to be done to prevent similar tragedies. He's joined by Raymond Dukey from K2 Integrity and John Mechanic, chairman of Freed Frank's Real Estate Department. Let's listen. John, Ray, uh, it truly is um, a very special privilege to be able to speak with you and share your insights and your wisdom uh, around uh, the recent tragic events uh, in Florida and the collapse of the condominium. Obviously, a story that has been widely covered uh, in the press. Uh, what has been shared less uh, have been some of the, we'll call it acquired lessons and uh, the thoughts about how to ensure that those lessons are not forgotten and incorporated into, um, we'll call it the collective efforts around real estate investing, development, real estate management, and obviously what um, residential individuals have to be thinking about uh, as they either purchase or maintain uh, their respective buildings. But there's been a lot that has been already uncovered. Obviously, there's more to come. And we're fortunate to have both of you because of your broad and in-depth experience. So, uh, Ray, maybe I'll just start quickly uh, with you in terms of a status report of what we know and uh, what we are likely to know in the future. Sure, uh, David. And thank you for uh, for having me on with you today. And, John, it's also good to join you today and look forward to our conversation. I think uh, from my perspective, what we know is that this was a this was a disaster. The question I think that remains open is whether this is a this was a natural disaster or a man-made disaster. I also can tell you that there will be several months of investigation to determine the exact root cause of the collapse. We all know that from from some of the, the reports that were previously filed, some some dated now, there was uh, indicia of some significant issues. Uh, the fact that the report was three years old and little had been done to remediate the concerns are also very telling. Um, in contrast, the sister property uh, to the Champlain Towers appeared to have taken a more timely uh, response to address some of the issues that were uncovered. And then so that, that calls into question sort of what I would say is management's commitment to address some of these issues in a timely manner. I think there are also maybe some some broader concerns here regarding the climate change and, and the impact on the environment or the geological profile over the last 40 years. And, and lastly, I think there might be some, some questions around sort of the regulatory uh, response and, and also the, the regulations more broadly, whether they are keeping up with what I would say is the, the climate change and and just the, the amount of work that's needed to be done to ensure that these properties are 
to be maintained well. And so that's sort of my immediate thoughts, David, on, on where we are and, and potentially some of the, the implications of what, what has gone wrong here. Ray, thanks for that uh, overview. John, you as a truly the foremost attorney and I like to say uh, consigliere and advisor in the real estate industry here in America, it would be helpful to sort of gain your perspectives and how you're thinking about advising clients and, you know, sort of what basically um, people involved in the development of real estate, the management of real estate, obviously the sale, et cetera, uh, should be thinking about it. And I know, you know, in terms of your practice, uh, you have always thought expansively around the issues of legal, regulatory, commercial, and reputational risk. So it would be great to hear your thoughts on what has occurred and sort of what people should be thinking about. Well, you know, when you uh, when you acquire a property, obviously there's there's a, a great deal of due diligence that's done in connection with the acquisition. One would always get all of the uh, environmental reports that the existing owner has and seek to get all of the physical condition reports uh, as well as doing your own. I think in the current circumstance, it just highlights the, the importance of that and the importance of having high qualified professionals doing the uh, doing the reports, doing the examinations. No one would want to step into a circumstance where there was that kind of a deterioration and risk profile that is associated with it. I think the harder issue is, you know, someone buying a condominium unit where they're spending, you know, a, a much smaller amount of money and they're buying, you know, apartment 3B in a 15-story condominium. And I think the circumstances, one would generally look at the condominium board minutes, you know, what was discussed, whether were there discussions about, you know, some physical problems at the building, some potential deterioration, some risks, were the reports, uh, asked for the reports, um, and depending on what one's spending and the age of the building, uh, you would spend time perhaps having your own expert go and at least take a, a view about were there things to be concerned about. I think also in today's world, there's more availability both for the board owners um, as well as the building owners from artificial intelligence, from drones, which allow you to get a sense of things that may be going on on the exterior of the building that didn't necessarily require you to put up scaffolding and have people drop down the entire exterior of the building from top to bottom. But I think everyone has emblazoned on their memories at the moment kind of what happened at Surfside. And so, you know, no one would ever say, like, what are you worried about? Because everybody knows exactly what they're worried about. So, John, you touched upon the importance of diligence. If I can just flesh that out a little bit. Uh, very often, uh, people will, re will look at sort of regulatory inspections. Uh, they'll look at, you know, perhaps, you know, the board minutes of a condominium association if they're buying an apartment. But the sophisticated investors that you often are representing Maybe you can share with us the importance of using independent expertise um, and not necessarily fully relying on simply the regulatory inspections 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think you can rely on the regulatory inspections. I mean, the the the, the first issue would be are there violations noted against the building? So if there were violations noted against the building, saying you know you've got uh, structural defects that need to be addressed, or you haven't complied with the annual or you know every five years or whatever the regulatory environment is to do a you know an independent inspection, obviously that's a red flag. But I think. Even if you were compliant with whatever those current regulations are, I think what Surfside has shown us is that those current regulations may be out of date. You know, as Ray said, issues of climate change and the the impact that that's had on on the structures that were designed in a in an earlier era make those some of those regulatory regimes uh, really out of date in terms of how often uh, the building is inspected. And and I think that you know I, the notion would be that you can't just rely on those those regulatory inspections from the local municipality. And I think that certainly in a in a building having you know any age to it and anything that's located in a locale which has particular concerns about the effects of climate change and the effects of the weather on on the uh, integrity of the structure. People would want an independent uh, firm, a firm that you had confidence in, to come and examine the building and do, you know, and, and you know, it's a kind of like uh, in the environmental context, there's a phase one and phase two. And there's the phase one where you determine whether or not there are sufficient indicia of issues that require you to go to the next level of the phase two, which is a more in-depth investigation. I have no doubt that if you were doing a physical inspection and there were things that gave rise to concern, that that might require a more in-depth examination and also give you concern as to, is this the building that I want to be, you know, buying and putting my money in and making my investment? John, thanks. And Ray, that kind of leads into what I'll refer to, uh, what your practice area covers, and maybe most importantly, your many years of experience in looking at what has been missed and looking at real estate from a forensic standpoint. Maybe you could just build on John's point about the importance of independent diligence and not simply relying on regulatory records here. And I know you have some thoughts also about the inspection cycle and how often government officials are, either their resources are stretched and strained or the inspection cycles are not nearly what they should be. John has alluded to you know, climate change as you did, and, and so, you know, the landscape changing. But maybe you can share with us, you know, some of the lessons learned from your many years of, we'll call it forensic work, both in advance of a bad event happening, but also sometimes as you're called in to do the autopsy. Thank you, David. Uh, I'll just build on a couple of points. I think from an investment perspective, that, you know, to echo uh, John's point of pre-acquisition, what I call, or what we call pre-acquisition due diligence and post-acquisition monitoring. And and so it's important that the uh, investors really go beyond just your simple financial analysis and, and ROI. It's going beyond sort of financial numbers and looking into what's happening at the property from, from a management perspective, from a commitment perspective. And, and those are some key things that we look at there, right? It's around, you know, for commitment, we look at the sufficiency of budget and resources that, that management has dedicated 
towards, say, a risk management or, or maintenance program, right? We also look at whether there are board members that may be competent in, in understanding the potential exposures and are committed to hiring the right resources, not just, you know, fly-by-night contractors, but actually, you know, professionals to really look at look at some of these uh, problems and address them in a timely manner. The, you know, from the regulatory standpoint, my, my sense is that, you know, it, with the pandemic and, and, and maybe some other factors that, you know, some of the, the regulators, state and local regulators may not have had the, the, the right amount of resources to dedicate to these, these issues and identifying these issues and doing the timely inspections. And so, you know, John is spot on in that we can't just rely on those on the state and local and government more broadly. We, you know, as as the investors and you're looking into acquiring a property or investing in a property, I think it's up to you to recognize that there that these the limitations of the, the regulatory response and then also to go beyond just the financial numbers and look more broadly as to what's happening at the property and, and how well it's being uh, managed from from a, a business perspective and then also from a, from a risk perspective, I think more broadly. Um, what I would also say about the regulatory aspects of this is that, you know, I, I started my career at the, the New York City Department of Investigation and I learned there that city employees, you know, sometimes have the, the best of intentions and and want to do the right things, right? And there are often times, though, where, you know, uh, a gift is presented to them. And, and in some cases, they may, may choose, some of these individuals may choose to accept those gifts and look the other way. I think, again, from a, from a, investment perspective, we need to understand that that's a potential risk. And therefore, you can't necessarily rely too much on the fact that there was an inspection done and it was a clean bill of health for that particular property. We need to go beyond that, right? It's sort of the uh, the Ronald Reagan theory, right? Trust trust but verify. And so th- those are just some, some thoughts. Uh, you know, I could speak more in-depthly about the, you know, some of the financial things that we look at. David, but I'll save that for uh... right. So, okay. So, Ray, you opened the door. The C word, corruption, and John has represented clients around the world. And very often, when these disasters occur, what's exposed is not just you know the errors and omissions, but that you know possibly there was corruption in the inspection process. Uh, et cetera. And so hence the need for independent diligence and relying on your own um, experts. And John has, you, you have operated in some of the most sophisticated markets. And when you think about advising clients and the importance of the independent diligence, I know, John, you spend a lot of time on structuring the agreement, getting the appropriate representations, thinking through insurance coverage, liability issues, et cetera. Maybe you can share with the audience the, the types of things that you try to negotiate and build into the, we'll call it, in, into your agreements to protect your clients. So, I mean, with respect, I mean, what we're really talking about is the physical structure and physical integrity of the building and, um, and systems. And 
I don't believe that that's something that sellers, whether before Surfside or after Surfside, are representing as to the structure. I think what you can have them represent and need to have them represent is that all of the reports that they've had done, all of the investigations, all materials that they have with respect to any of those items that would affect the physical integrity or the systems in the building, that they've provided them to you. What you don't want is that there's something in the drawer that says, by the way, there's a, a serious concern about the structural integrity of the garage or the, or, or the pool or whatever it is. I think the notion that you're going to get a seller to represent to you that everything is fine, I just don't believe that that's happening. Sellers aren't doing that because that's just the recipe for anything goes wrong, regardless of whether there was something existing beforehand, not something is now become the seller's issue. So I don't think that's happening. So I think, one, you need to know everything that the seller knows that they've had a written report about. Obviously, whatever's been shown up governmentally, you can do your own searches and see what, uh, what's been filed. Obviously, the, the, the issue of corruption, if there was a, somebody who was paid off an inspector, that would, be, uh, that would be problematic. But I think you're not relying on simply the government inspections in any event. I think no one that's sophisticated is going to simply rely on the governmental authorities to make sure that the building's in fine shape, right? Because there are things that may not be code violations, but, uh, but may be something that will be of concern to you as a potential owner and something that you're going to have to spend money on. So the scope of detail that I think you're looking for as a potential purchaser is just different from what uh, the government may be looking for in terms of code violations. Obviously, in a, in a surfside context, there's coalescing of those concerns, right? That both the, the government is, wants to make sure the building doesn't fall down and the buyer wants to make sure the building is not going to fall down. Um, the buyer's concerns are go much deeper than that because there are other things that would require the buyer to spend money. So if it was buying a, a property for $100 million and there was $15 million of deferred maintenance, then they're not really buying it for 100 They're buying it for 115 So the buyer's diligence would tend to be much more detailed necessarily than that would be done by the by the government. The government is a good, is a fine first step because it's a it's a warning light. If the government noticed it, then clearly you should be noticing it. But there may be things that the government hasn't noticed, or maybe their um, their regime is 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 outdated. So maybe the last report was you know five ten years ago or whatever, and therefore things may have happened during that time period that the buyer needs to know about. Right, so that's a, a great primer. Maybe both you, John, and Ray can sort of share with us some perspective on sort of the evolution of diligence. And, John, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, basically you want to make sure if there's a data room that uh, everything that the seller knows is there um, and you're looking at it and, and get representations about the completeness of the disclosures and then when you think about the independent verification, uh, John, you alluded to the use of drones. Ray, I know you have a team of experts that often, you know, are looking at various aspects, and I guess John's team does as well, in terms of minutes, engineer reports, possibly even interviewing various people around there, how you think about environmental diligence, et cetera. But it seems that the one takeaway from Surfside is that the warning signs were there. And also, 
you know, who is actually overseeing or managing uh, the maintenance of the building, that there are, you know, lessons around that. But maybe you can, sh- both of you can share with the audience the types of resources you actually bring in, what's emerging. John, I love the reference to the, you know, the use of drone technology. You don't have to put a scaffold up anymore uh, to, you know, be able to guide a very comprehensive inspection. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's really a, a dramatic difference when you think about, you know, Local Law 10, Local Law 11 in New York, and uh, which all came about from some of the uh, falling facade, which, you know, impacted people walking on the sidewalks. And that gave rise to the rules of requiring the inspections uh, on a periodic basis. And that's really what was entailed, which was dropping a scaffolding down and inspecting and having engineers inspect on a floor by floor basis. Um, what the status of the facade was and whether there was facade work that needed to be done. I think that, you know, the, the current technology makes it cheaper, easier, and faster to uh, an analysis of the, the exterior of a building and, and to have that analyzed by those same engineers, but with detail without necessarily having them sitting on a scaffolding or spending the dollars involved to erect and and then uh, dismantle that scaffolding. So I think you're going to see, and that would argue for doing it on a more regular basis. And and David, I, you know, I would add, I, I think, you know, technology is certainly an enabler, but uh, I, I'll tell you that the one thing that has not changed is the need for real professional engineers that, that know what to look for, uh, know how to spot the indicators. And so, while there has been some changes, I think, you know, typical boots on the ground type uh, resources are, are, are never going to be replaced. And that, that experience of, of spotting things that might be indicia of future issues or problems. And so what I would say is that, you know, ensuring that you have the right people looking at the footage, looking at performing the inspections, I think that, that to me will certainly not change and and you know I touched on the point earlier David about management's commitment I, I think you know that that doesn't necessarily have to manifest itself in more dollars being thrown at issues but more so having the right people looking at the issues and so that, that's that's uh what I'd add. and I I think that's also you know analyzing the information that's being presented to you you know uh, what you don't want is someone says, well, you know, and this is some of the issues with uh, the condo boards, you know, yeah, we have an issue, but, you know, it's hard to get people to pay assessments and we don't want to push people. We have a lot of people who don't want to, you know, pay increased maintenance charges or special assessments. And I think, you know, one thing is making sure that you have kind of sophisticated people on those boards. Two, I think if, if I were going to be on a, a condominium board, I'd be checking, one, being very careful about what materials were coming to me and what we were doing about them, and two, I'd also be checking on my director's and officer's liability insurance because I think it's got to be a concern for people. Um, you know, those condominium board, board members who were sitting on that board who made determinations to do or not do things based on information that was provided for them that's the basis for some of the lawsuits that are pending in surfside and you know people kind of sit on the board and don't necessarily think about the 
significant responsibility that's sitting on their shoulders for the, the safety of themselves and their their uh, their neighbors. And uh, and we when you see a circumstance like Surfside, which is obviously a tremendous tragedy, when you're thinking it is a just well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go on the board. I'm not really going to pay much attention. You can't really do that. There's too much at stake. So um, important points, including underscoring the fact that lives are at stake here. It's not just simply uh, a building. It's not simply a return on investment. And uh, I know both of you have some thoughts about, you know, how to select the right engineers and also the track record of developers, owners, property managers, etc. And as people think about buying, selling, investing, financing various real estate projects, maybe you can highlight maybe the importance of the diligence around the people who are critical to the to these processes. Again, you know, the architects, the developers, the engineers, the property managers, the board members, etc. How do you begin to unwrap that and how do you think about that? Well, I think, you know, in terms of the reputation of developers, obviously there are uh, developers that are, you know, first in class. And I think, you know, that's a good place to start. You know, I, I think if you're going for a product that's being developed by, uh, you know, are related to take, for an example, I mean, then you have one of the, you know, most experienced residential developers. And I think the likelihood of you ending up with, you know, excellent product is, is is very good. I think you know as you move down the spectrum, you know, you're saying to yourself, well, you know, uh, I want I want to understand like you know what their reputation is in the marketplace. You know, who is the architect? Who is the engineer? All those things come into being about the quality of the product you're getting. Uh, not necessarily that the product is going to fall down and you're going to have a surfside issue. But there are other things that are going to happen. You know, are there going to be leaks in the building? Are you going to have issues with the elevators? Whatever, whatever the issues are, I think you know it, 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 there's a premium paid for 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 the best, and you know, and, and you get what you pay for. So that um, in circumstances where you have a quality developer, a quality architect, a quality engineer, I think those are all things that make the likelihood of you having an issue, you know, just lesser. Um, and I still think that, you know, whenever you're making a significant investment, you'd want to have your own construction expert, your own engineer, whatever, looking at the property and, and agreeing that, in fact, that the property is built in a standard that you're not going to find out that two years or three years later, you're going to have some significant issues, which are going to have cost impacts to the building or to you individually. Yeah, I would, I would add that, uh, you know, there are certainly the known known parties, right, and the well-known parties. And, and I think, you know, as John mentioned, where there may be sort of a question or an unknown party that emphasizes the point of doing some some diligence. And so in doing that, I think you'd want to make sure that the, the architects, engineers, uh, developers have the, the right background experience in developing the property. And in particular, that there are no what I would call integrity concerns. I, I think those are those are the types of things that uh, have a, a more sort of broader impact 
right? They're, they're not necessarily an engineering component, but if you're dealing with a, a developer builder that has had some integrity issues and they may not be trustworthy, and then that sort of could manifest itself in, in a number of different issues, <laughs> contractual being one, uh, you know, uh, integrity, you know, structural, uh, you know, deficiencies, cutting corners, all of those things may, may come into play. So, Sorry, uh, John, I don't know if you can add to that. No, I was just going to say one of the other things one would do is, um, you know, do a litigation search. If you're if you're buying from an owner who's mired in you know, substantial litigation with, you know, prior uh, prior purchasers from that owner with, you know, uh, condominiums where they were the sponsor and there's a bunch of lawsuits against the sponsor following uh, you know the turnover of the apartments to the to the purchasers um, you know it, it gives you a pretty good sign of what's to come right you know history tends to repeat itself so um, I mean I can think of one particular circumstance where there were you know uh, it was a renovated building um, the sponsor had had some issues some of the monies that were should have been applied to the reserves in the building and to uh, some of the maintenance that needed to be done in the building was redirected to uh, to places where they didn't belong, and uh, the the owners and uh, are are kind of dealing with that in the in the aftermath. The the lenders taken over for that particular sponsor. There's a dispute between the 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 lender about who's responsible, whether it's the lender or the or the other uh, unit owners. And that's exactly the stuff that you would like to avoid, right? I mean, and, and having done a litigation search on that particular sponsor ahead of time might have said to you, you know what? I know that the pricing for this seems pretty good, but when I factor in all the other costs that I'm likely to, or at least I have a significant percentage of likelihood of, being, of having to incur, maybe I should pay a little bit more up front and not be burdened by those, uh, by those concerns. So, John, excellent points. And, you know, I've had the privilege, and I'll actually add the word honor, to have worked closely, you know, with Fried Frank, but also with K2 um, in doing this diligence and uh, around legal, commercial, and uh, reputational risk, uh, which is all I know has been uh, very, very important um, in the work that Ray, you have done, and, and John, that you continue to do with, on behalf of your clients. Uh, in the remaining minutes, um, I wanted maybe to pick your brains because it's, um, unfortunately, the world is very episodic. And, you know, it takes an event that, you know, people had warnings about to maybe focus, and hopefully we do learn our lessons. We're coming out of a pandemic, which for 25 or 30 years, experts will warning about not as a if event, but, you know, it was just going to happen at some point in time. They couldn't predict when. You have Surfside, you're seeing cyber attacks and things like that, which, you know, the experts have warned about for a long time. Uh, I hate to think it it always takes a crisis, but as a reminder in the sort of in the real estate and construction area, it wasn't too long ago that uh, there were some lessons learned around fire safety and a very, very tragic uh, building fire that took place in London. And maybe you could both, uh, I don't want this to be solely about 
you know, structural integrity. But there are a whole host of factors that are very important, whether you're buying, selling, managing, financing, real estate, that should not be overlooked, um, that go beyond structural integrity. And John, obviously many of your clients are in New York, but again, you have a global base. And Ray, I know you've done work uh, and advised around the world. Maybe you can share with the audience the additional aspects and importance of diligence and having independent expertise around beyond structural safety. From my perspective, um, there, there are a couple of things, uh, a couple of points. I think from a um, from the initial development or building of a uh, you know, a facility or, or a condo or other building, there are points that should be considered. Right? One we talked about previously around the integrity concerns of the parties that are involved. I think also. Throughout the building, there needs to be some level of monitoring. And, you know, John, you, you touched upon the point of uh, having, you know, an owner's rep uh, participate in, in the, the process. I do also have a strong belief that, that there should be what we call integrity monitors if the project is significant enough um, from, from the outset of the development of the building, that there should be integrity monitors taking a look at several aspects of it. And one is to ensure that people that are involved in the project are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, for example, if there are, you know, inspections or testing that's ongoing, an integrity monitor would ensure that those individuals are doing their jobs, that they're they're participating in the inspection, they're looking at the quality, they're reviewing the reports, they're filing the reports in a timely manner, that safety protocols are being adhered to code compliance is being adhered to. You know, some of the issues that, that we're, we're looking at here may date back to the building, you know, when the building was initially being erected. For example, using the, the proper, you know, concrete mix, using the amount of, you know, the quantity of rebar and the organization of the rebar uh, in, in that concrete. And so I think that that concept of having not just a, a construction manager, but also potentially integrity monitors being involved in some of the developments, I think is, is a, a, a uh, something that's, that's often overlooked. Uh, and, and, and I think that, that, I think this, this is, this disaster just, I think, brings to light the fact that there needs to be more oversight when buildings are initially being developed. Um, so I, I would just say I, I have been involved in circumstances and there have been cases in New York and elsewhere where um, there have been misconduct uh, in connection with large construction jobs uh, where there have been integrity monitors that have been installed uh, sometimes as a result of, you know, indictments that have been brought against some of the contractors, some of the, the payoffs to uh, you know, employees of companies or to inspectors. Uh, we've had crane accidents where the, um, you know, the, the operator wasn't an appropriate licensed operator. Um, so I think all those things, I mean, there are, there are a parade of potential horribles that I think, uh, um, you know, we've all, uh, we've all uh, had experience with it in one form or another. I think the first and foremost issue is to understand the 
the physical uh, aspects of the the development and what what uh, issues one's going to face if one became a subsequent owner, uh, and to the extent that that that's determined by independent engineers and architects, I think you feel better that what you're getting, the product you're getting is what you what you think you're getting. Um, but the the notion of uh, you know whether the the governmental reviews are sufficient, I think people will agree that. While they're helpful, they're not determinative. So I don't think that changes it, and uh, and I think that uh, the concerns one would otherwise have about whether they're sufficient only get magnified to the extent that there's you know some hanky panky that might have gone on depending on the scope and size of the project and the nature of the developer um, to to deal with that. One of the things that we haven't mentioned um, on a legal basis is the statutes of limitations, and you know the question is who's bringing who's getting bought into this lawsuit uh, if, if there is a suit after the fact when there's there's some tragedy like Surfside. And, you know, there's a, there are rules about when and, and whom you can sue and how long after the event or whenever they perform their services, you can sue them. And, you know, for example, there's a, a statute that uh, with respect to performance of like design and uh, and uh, construction services, you know, that there's like a, a there's a two-year statute or uh, uh, two years from discovery or when it reasonably could have been discovered. With respect to the developer or construction itself, it's basically a four-year statute unless it's a latent defect. It's something that you couldn't reasonably discover, and then it's a ten-year statute. So, you know, there was discussion about whether or not there was some uh, failure to comply with the. Uh, the designs um, and whether and you know that may be too far in the past to be able to be actionable, but with respect to the people who were doing inspections or providing advice in connection with what work needed to get done, um, if that advice was faulty, there may be potential liability, and I think there's a question of whether those people would be brought into the lawsuit. One other thing that one might want to consider is in some circumstance when someone does. Uh, review with respect to, um, you know, examining the, the status of the physical condition of potential properties, that agreement that they enter into sometimes has a limitation of liability on it, saying that they're doing it, but their liability is limited to X, or their liability is limited to the scope of their insurance. That's not an unusual provision, but obviously you want to be thoughtful about that, and that's why the nature of who it is that you're retaining is so important because you want to have someone who has the credibility and reputation that you feel comfortable that you can rely on their judgment and their advice. So on that note, I want to thank Ray, you and John. And, you know, in light of the parade of the things that can go wrong, uh, obviously, um, both of you have been invaluable in protecting clients, servicing information, helping to drive more informed decisions. Ray, as you mentioned, there'll be no doubt more revelations that come out and hopefully lessons that can be incorporated. The work that you're doing is very, very much in the public service in protecting not only your clients, but uh, the people who end up being directly involved or working in or living in uh, the various real estate projects that you've touched. So thank you both again for the public service. 
our, our pleasure, Ray's pleasure, my pleasure, and obviously we hold you in the highest regard and happy to participate with you uh, in any endeavor. Agreed, agreed. Thanks, David. Thanks for having us. Raymond Dukey is with K2 Integrity, and John Mechanic is with the Freed Franks Real Estate Department. Individuals and organizations turn to Rain for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Subscribe today to Rain's core membership and get our daily risk book digest, weekly intelligence briefs on cyber and geopolitical, access to knowledge sharing webinars, and breaking alerts on important risk developments. Find out how Rain can help power your business to success at rainnetwork.com. That's R A N E network.com. Thanks for listening.